Sports Talk New York with your hosts, Mark Rosenman and A.J. Carter. Sports Talk New York is sponsored in part by Prince Associates for all your insurance needs, the Phoenix Tube Company, the law firm of Declator Cohen and DePrisco, Solomon Jewelers, and General Needs Charity, serving our homeless veterans with dignity. And now, here are your hosts, Mark and A.J. Joining us now is a man who was drafted by the New York Mets in the seventh round of the 1989 Major League Baseball draft as a third baseman. That year he was awarded the Double Day Award for the rookie-level Gold Coast Mets in Sarasota, Florida, where he posted a batting average of two sixty-three, six home runs, 34 runs batted in, and four stolen bases in 54 games. He won a second Double Day Award the following season, 1991, this time playing for the Capital City Bombers of the South Atlantic League. He posted an average of two eighty-seven, twenty-six home runs, 99 runs batted in, 22 stolen bases. He won the award again in 1993 for the Binghamton Mets of the Eastern League, posting a batting average of 251, 25 home runs, 98 runs batted in, 11 stolen bases. Because of all of this, in August of that year, he was recalled to make his Major League debut against the Houston Astros with Daryl Kyle on the mound. On that day, Daryl Kyle threw a no-hitter. Welcome to the big leagues. He started out his career in the Mets uh, wearing the number 10, but he wore the number 42 for the rest of his Met career from 1995 to 1998 when Major League Baseball retired the number in honor of Jackie Robinson on April 15, 1997 in a game between the Mets and the Los Angeles Dodgers at Chase Stadium. This past week on the 23rd anniversary of that event, he was the subject of a great article recalling that night by Newsday's Dave Lennon. It is a thrill to welcome back my friend Butch Husky to 540 AM Sports Talk New York. Welcome Butch, how you doing? All right, man. Appreciate you having me on. Oh, it's always a pleasure to speak to you. So, first off, how are you and your family holding up, and what are things like by you in Oklahoma? Uh, we're doing great. Uh, it's just getting getting kind of hard being cooped up all the time. But we're adhering to all the rules that they have out there for us, and we're trying to be as safe as possible. You know, I know you've been keeping busy cooking, uh, but maybe you should put a disclaimer on some of your posts uh, because uh, it was a little uneasy for me. But can you explain to our audience what exactly calf fries are? <laughs> it's it's the lungs that hang down off of a bull. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and, and those are good to eat, Butch? Oh, they're fantastic. They're fantastic. <laughs> oh, man. And, and how do you prepare that? Ah, you just got to cut them up and oh, batter them up and fry them up, man. It's 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 a delicacy out my way. We don't waste too much of the the animal when we dispatch it. Well, basically, everyone has always said if you fry anything, it tastes good. So I guess that that's that school. All right. So I mentioned the Dave Lennon article in the intro. In that piece, you mentioned that you first learned about Jackie in high school when a teacher suggested you do a book report on the legendary figure. What did you learn about Jackie when you did that report that had such an impression on you that you decided to wear 42 to honor him? Well, it it was mainly just everything that he had gone through in his life to get to the point uh, where he was in major, of getting the chance to play Major League Baseball. And I thought that the only, be a small part or a small tribute that I could pay to Jackie and his family was to, if I ever played in professional baseball, to be able to wear number 42. And so that's how that came about. A teacher suggested it, and she knew that would be the only way to get my attention in class, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) 
and uh, I thank God every day that she led me toward Jackie Robinson's story. So, aside from the day-to-day baseball games we've been robbed of thus far due to the COVID-19 virus, we also missed out on Jackie Robinson Day. Take us back to that very first Jackie Robinson Day at Chase Stadium, April 15th, 97, Mets versus Dodgers. What do you remember most about the atmospheres and your teammates' thoughts heading into that game? For one, I mean, the, the stadium was electric, and even with the... Uh because I don't, I don't recall knowing beforehand that the number was going to be retired. But seeing the president and seeing all the Secret Service guys and seeing Miss Robinson and seeing the commissioner of the league at the game, you know that made it electric in the stadium. Yeah, so I have to imagine, uh, in a career full of memories, this one has to be pretty special. So much that inside a frame on the wall of your house is, is your Mets jersey from the night, signed by Rachel Robinson, you know, Jackie's widow. So when you pass that jersey every so often and, and catch a glimpse of it and see her signature, what are some of the thoughts that go through your mind? Well, first of all, it reminds me of that night and everything that went on. But to me, I mean, that's, they were Jackie and his family. There, that's baseball royalty, and to be able to have her signature, and I wish I would have been able to meet Jackie at some point, but it didn't happen. But to meet her, it it just feels like there's royalty hanging on my wall, you know. <clears throat> So it's interesting because the reason Jackie Robinson Day is held on April 15th, it's because it commemorates Jackie's debut of April 15th, 1947, which opened the gates for so many African-American players who, as children, were able to believe that they could be a major league player. The percentage of African-American players would increase over the next 39 years, settling in around 18% in the mid-80s, but seen a, a drastic decrease every year since, and is now hovering between 6 and 7% which is where it was in the late 50s. Why do you think there's been such a decline? I think it has a lot to do with kids or the African-American kids just aren't interested. To them, it's a boring game. But another thing, I think all the travel sports that are going on, I think that has to do something with it economically coming from a lower you know, a family that can't afford to play travel ball. So the kids are behind from the get-go. Interesting theory. And not to make this political, but when we talk Jackie or Dr. Martin Luther King, we think of them as civil rights pioneers. I'm wondering what you think either one of them would make of the fact that with all the amazing strides they fought for, for all, and all these years later, that the CDC released new preliminary nationwide data on Friday that revealed 30% of COVID-19 patients are African-American, even though African-Americans only make up 13% of the population of the United States, which kind of points out that, you know, amplifies the pre-existing social inequities tied to race, class, and access to health care system. And you kind of alluded to that with, with travel ball. What do you think those two men would think of what's going on now you know in this pandemic well it's heartbreaking and you know i think and and i've been thinking about why is it so so many african americans or in the latino community well i think most of those are doing doing those jobs that have to be essential for the economy to run and 
is there's just not enough precaution being taken by them or their companies to make sure that they're safe. And I think that's why you see so much of it going on, especially in the African-American communities. I mean, there's a lot of communities around. And I'm not just saying that, but I'm just saying that because of the high rate of the minorities that are getting sick and passing away from this COVID-19 deal. Yeah, it's staggering. The numbers are just off the charts. I know that you yourself are a huge sports fan. What do you miss most about, you know, at the end of the day, not being able to turn on, you know, whether it be a basketball game, uh, you know, or right now we'd be early on in the baseball season. You know, what does that mean to you, not being able to see live sports? Oh, it's it's heart-wrenching for me because I'm an athletic person and I like all sports. I mean, I even <clears throat> I just miss turning on the TV and getting caught up on all the sports that have happened during the day or during the week and seeing those highlights, those top ten plays on ESPN, even the Little Leaguers, watching the Little Leaguers get a chance to play. And, you know, I coach my daughter's 14-year-old travel team, of course, and it's just it's not fun right now sitting at home and not being able to play sports or watch sports. You know, it's interesting because sports has always been the great healer in this nation, whether it be the you know whether it be Yankee Stadium or, or Shea Stadium after nine eleven. You know, we all remember the Piazza game. Um, this is going to be a little different because I, I don't know how quickly fans are going to be able to go back into a stadium to, to cheer and see, you know, be side by side with each other, you know, cheering on their team. But when that happens, what do you think the atmosphere will finally be like when the green light is given? Maybe there's a vaccine and, you know, things can go back to somewhat semblance of normal. What do you think that first game with fans is going to be like, whether it be hockey, baseball, football, or basketball? I think it's going to be incredible for whoever gets their sports teams back together and back playing right away in front of fans. It's it's going to be electric, and it'll it'll probably be a little sad because of what's going on and all the lives that have been lost. But on the other hand, that's what brings us back together as Americans, I think, is our pastime and our sports. And... Hopefully, I can be in one of those stadiums watch a game or something. That being said, as a ball player, you know some of the things being floated out, and they're doing it in Taiwan. They're, they're playing, you know, the game in front of in a stadium, no fans, uh, and actually, you know, com- computerized animatronic fans in, in some of them. Um, could you envision what it would be like for you? And your team, let's say it was the Mets, to go out at City Field or Shea Stadium and play a game against the, the Cardinals or the Dodgers with not a single fan, vendor, or anyone in, in the stadium, just an empty stadium. What would that be like, do you think, for you? Uh, I think it would be rather boring. I mean, <laughs> we, we love the game. We love to play the game as athletes, but we're also entertainers. And to be, have to go out and entertain and nobody understands to entertain, yeah, I think that's going to be, that'd be tough to do. 
some of the things that ESPN was floating about this year to try and bring fans back into the game was miking particular ball players, you know, or, or putting a mic on on the on first base so they'd be able to hear the banter between a first baseman and the the runner when he gets on. Obviously, if we're not going to have the fans in the the stands, they're going to have to think of ways to really capture the audience because part of it is that adrenaline when you know that game winning hit in, in the fans and the the, the guys looking to the fans and pumping yeah, their fists. Yeah. That energy is going to be lost, but maybe they can recapture it by by maybe getting back to the days where we knew the personalities of the players more so than just the stats. Maybe maybe that might be a good thing. Do you, do you think that is something that Major League Baseball really should try and focus on on getting us to, to know who the, the personalities are? Yeah, I, I think that would be great. You may have to watch out some players you put the <laughs> mic on. But I think I watched a game from this spring where Freddie Freeman was mic'd up. Oh, when, when he got, yeah, it was the spring training game where he, uh, with a fly ball, he judged it right and he was chugging around second and third. He made it all the way. Yeah, yeah, home. yeah. yeah. I, I thought that was pretty awesome. That was one of the games I got to see where a player was mic'd up. And I guess Chipper was heckling him quite a bit up there from the booth and he could hear all that stuff. Yeah. And, yeah, he judged You're right. Out. I mean, that just shows a, per, a player's personality that comes out, and I, I think that might be something good for Major League Baseball to do. Yeah, I think so too. I, I think the younger generation has gotten so fixated with their, their fantasy sports that they're just really driven by statistics and individual players on their their fantasy team, and, and they've drifted a little bit away from the, the baseball. Maybe now that they they've been so far removed, you know, we're into April. You know, we'll turn into May. You know, without having to put their fantasy lineup together. Uh, maybe they'll start, you know, focusing on the teams at hand and rooting for teams as opposed to individuals. That that might be refreshing. Listen, we, we need to look for whatever good can come out of this because there's so much bad that is going to come out of this, and there are people that are not going to get through this in, in a good manner, and there are people that used to go to ball games that, unfortunately, based on what's going to happen economically, are not going to be able to go out to the ballpark when things get back to whatever normal is, whatever the new normal is. So it, it will be interesting, but I, I tell you, I miss baseball so much. I, today I basically, you know, my wife had picked up a, a huge box of baseball cards at a garage sale probably a year and a half ago that I hadn't touched. I just went through them all today and started sorting them out, and it was like, it was like therapy. It, it really is crazy that when something we take for granted is taken away, how much more you really um, – Relish it, and I, I think that might be the tonic that baseball, like you said, the younger generation is too slow, too boring. I, I think right now they would not find that. G- Listen, <laughs> after s- them all sitting around for forty-seven days in their house, I don't think they'll ever think that baseball is boring again. Well, I hope not. I hope not because it's baseball. I've, I've loved it since I was a kid, and it's done tremendous things for myself and my family, and. I still reap some benefits from playing professional baseball. And uh, so baseball is always near and dear to my heart, but we need our sports to come back. But we need our American citizens to be safe also. Absolutely. So this is a question we've been asking each of our guys uh, before we let them go. Uh, since we don't have you know, current baseball and we're, we're not able to watch live sports, what game as a kid – 
do you remember most enjoying, like what, growing up watching a game or going to a game live, which is the one that, not you playing, but you watching as a spectator, which is the one that you remember the most? Oh, man. You know, we really only had TBS when I was growing <laughs> up, so it was definitely watching, being able to watch the Braves play, and I think one of my favorite players of all time was Dale Murphy. And that Braves team, when they had Claudel and all those guys on that team, Chris Chambliss, and, I mean, those were fun teams to watch. Bob Horner, yeah, they certainly were. That's, that's yeah, they had Big Bob at third. Yeah, it was I, – I remember watching the Braves as a kid, so, you and- know – and New York fans probably don't know this, but um, interestingly enough, the New York Yankee broadcaster that they've all come to know and love, John Sterling, was actually the announcer for the Braves back then when uh, that was going on as well. So it's interesting. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was an interesting team. All right, Butch, well, you know, thanks so much for your time tonight. Stay safe, stay healthy. I truly look forward to seeing you either at City Field or at Mets Fantasy Camp, uh, which would certainly mean that we're back to normal. So that, that's what I'm, I'm truly looking forward to for sure. Well, I appreciate you guys taking the time out and having me on. I really enjoyed it. And uh, I would say send me some of those uh, calf fries, but uh, there's no way. <laughs> you may have to make a trip to Oklahoma and get you a taste of them. I, I, you know what? I, 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 ju- I don't know. <laughs> I saw that. And I'm saying, what is that? Then I Googled it, and I went, oh, no. <laughs> it'll, be, it'll be good for your spirit. <laughs> That's true. If I'm able to get to Oklahoma, that means things are good. So, yeah, maybe. May, I, I might take you up on that. We'll see. <laughs> All right. All right, Butch, be good. Butch Husky, number 42, talking about the legendary Jackie Robinson, the impact he had on his career, and remembering the first uh, Jackie Robinson day back in 1997.